It was the Feast of Hanukkah at Yerushalayim. It was winter, and Yeshua was walking in Shlomo's porch. The Yehudim therefore came around him and said to him, How long will you hold us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. To fully appreciate the import of this account, you must first understand Hanukkah. In 167 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes ordered an altar to Zeus erected in the Holy Temple at Jerusalem. He outlawed circumcision, teaching and learning scripture upon pain of death. Many Jews were slaughtered. The final straw for the followers of the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob came when Antiochus ordered pigs to be sacrificed on the Holy Altar defiling it. Outraged, this action sparked a huge revolt. Matasyahu, a Jewish Kohen and his five sons, Yohanan, Zimin, Eliezer, Jonathan, and Judah, led a rebellion against Antiochus. Judah became known as Yehuda HaMakabi, Judah the Hammer. By 166 BC, Matasyahu had died and Judah took his place as leader. By 165 BC, the Jewish revolt against the Seleucid monarchy was successful. the temple was liberated. After recovering Jerusalem and the Beit HaMikdash, Judah ordered the temple cleansed. New holy vessels were made and another altar was built to replace the desecrated one. To celebrate this event, Judah and his brothers instituted the Festival of Dedication. According to the Talmud, they searched for the olive oil to light the temple menorah, which Adonai had decreed was to burn continuously. To their dismay, the Maccabees discovered that almost all the ritual oil had been profaned, but for a single container still sealed by the high priest, enough to burn for only one day. They decided in faith to light the menorah anyway. Miraculously, it burned for eight days. The time needed to press, process, and consecrate the sacred oil. That's why they say, Neskadol Hayasham. A great miracle happened there. So we see the Feast of Dedication is the time to celebrate God's deliverance by the hand of the Maccabees and the miracle of the oil. Now let's move ahead about 65 years. It's winter, during the time of the Feast of Dedication, Yeshua is walking through Solomon's portico in the temple. Yeshua is not just loitering in the temple, he's there for a purpose. Never one to miss a teaching opportunity, Yeshua uses Hanukkah to reveal deeper truth to them. He knows that they are expecting another human Messiah, like the Maccabees, to deliver them from Roman occupation. He did not fault them for their understanding that the prophesied Messiah would set up an earthly kingdom ruling from Jerusalem. Rather, he was revealing to them that the promised Messiah would also be more than just a man, more than a Maccabee. 
He is. Emmanuel. And He is. Yeshua. And this time, the temple cleansing is a purifying of the heart. This Hanukkah season, get the pigs off the altar and let him cleanse your temple. Then you can say, Neskador Hayapol, a great miracle happened here. There's another parallel between Jesus and Hanukkah in his cleansing of the temple. Earlier in John, he cleansed the temple at the beginning of his ministry. And uh, three months after our t- our today's text happens, he returns to Jerusalem to die for the sins of the world. And Palm Sunday, he makes a triumphant entry and he cleanses the temple again. They were not sacrificing pigs, but they had made it a den of thieves, a place of ripping people off, a place of defecating the court of the Gentiles so there wasn't even room for them. And he cleansed that thing for the second time. Verse 21 of chapter 10 ends with them saying, Can these be the words of one who has a demon? Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Verse 21 is a day or two after the Feast of Tabernacles. There's a period of weeks, maybe even months, before the Feast of Dedication or Hanukkah. And then after the Feast of Dedication is a period of three months. So here we are, uh, beginning the last quarter of his life. Verse 22, it says, It was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. So it was it was chilly. I believe I I learned between services that this year's Hanukkah is around Thanksgiving. And it will not be at this time of the year until the year 79,000 and something. So this is probably the last Thanksgiving Hanukkah. Jesus walked into the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ... Tell us plainly. I love the Bible because it it shares locations where you can go and explore and stuff. Solomon's porch was a place where the early church met often. Solomon's porch was where possibly the day of Pentecost happened. Solomon's porch may have been the very place where the church was born. But here, precluding that, is Jesus sharing truth. He answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now the people standing in front of him could hear him, but they were not listening to him. Their hearts were not open to consider the possibility that the things he was saying about himself were true. So they were not his sheep. They weren't hearing him. Has your wife men ever said, you're not hearing me? You say, I'm listening. But you're not really hearing me. You're you're not trying to get the, the point of what I'm saying. And so Jesus was saying, my sheep get it. They hear me. And they follow me. And I know who they are. Verse 28, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them 
out of my hand. Can we say no one? My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Verse 30, I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Now, it was prevented by Roman law for anyone to execute someone by, by capital punishment other than Roman law. But according to Jewish law, blasphemy should be punished by death. It carried the capital punishment penalty. And if Jesus was blaspheming by claiming to be God, making these divine claims, then he, if he was making those and it wasn't true, then he was blaspheming and he should be put to death by stoning. Even though they were prevented to do so by Roman law, they were willing to take the risk and put him out. Jesus was set up. We shared this a few weeks ago. God who inspired Moses to write the law knew that this would pave the way for the death of the Messiah by those who refused to believe in him. If you didn't believe in Jesus, you only had one other choice. He was a blasphemer. In our day and time, people want to believe in Jesus, but they want to believe what he had to say. They want to believe he was a cool cat. They, you know, you got your homeboy Jesus, and you got your, your fisher Jesus, and you got your farmer Jesus, and you got your Jesus made in whatever image you want him to be. But the Jesus of the Bible declared the truth that he was the way, the truth, and the life. No one can have a relationship with God other than through him. So our culture today wants to pay lip service to Jesus, but in reality, either he was the truth and who he said he was, or he was a liar. I've had my eyes open. I believe he was telling the truth. If you're not sure, open your heart to the possibility of him not being a liar and see if he proves himself to you to be true. So the Jews took up stones to stone him. I love Jesus. He's got such a sense of humor. Verse 32, Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? Was it the blind guy that pushed you over the edge? Or that man that used to be crippled that still runs around town carrying his bed telling about what I did for him? Was it those hungry people I fed out in the wilderness that still talk about that? What, what is it that I did? <laughs> He's pointing them to his works in hopes that they would believe, I'm sure. Verse 33, the Jews answered him saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Verse 34, is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? He's quoting from Psalm 82, which reads, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. The word there for gods is the word Elohim. The same word used in Genesis of creation to speak of God. It speaks of His plurality, His immensity. It can be applied in certain contexts to humanity. 
God stands in the congregation of the mighty. These are leaders, people of authority. And He judges among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Selah means to think about it while the instrument's playing. He's rebuking those people who represent Him. People that represent God or the leaders in our life. They're the judges in our life. We're to submit to their authority provided they're not attempting to make us sin. And so he's rebuking them for a lack of justice and for partiality, probably for the ability to be bribed and all kinds of other nonsense that happens in small towns, big towns, and nations. He's judging among the gods. He calls them gods. And verse 6, he said, I said, you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. Now look at back at our text. Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? Now, I love Jesus. He does things with words that infuriates His enemies. Is He quoting the words, I said, you are gods? Or is He declaring Himself to be the author of the Bible? I said, you are gods. I said you are gods and all of you are children of the Most High. He is definitely quoting this verse. And if the people he's speaking to are the children of the Most High God, then why is it blasphemous for him to say he's the Son of God? He disarms them. They drop their rocks. Now here's the difference between us as gods, notice little g, and Almighty God. Verse 7, But you shall die like We're made in God's image, but we're not God. Barry White declared himself to be God one time. He had the voice of a God, but he's dead. He said, I'm doing well, and he's gone. We all die like men, but Jesus came, the Son of God, God's only begotten Son, came and brought us eternal life. He came to bring life. And so this really steams them. And then he appeals to them, verse 37, If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. The miracles he did were irrefutable. They weren't. Jesus wasn't wearing a walkie-talkie telling him what people wrote down in the prayer request cards. Remember the televangelist that got caught with that? There's somebody here named Billy Bob who's got a deep, dark secret. Verse 38, but if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore, they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. Verse 40, he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first, and there he stayed. He went back to where it all began. Remember when John baptized him? about to go public and he stayed there for three months getting ready loading his guns as it were to go and face death for us then many came to him and said John performed no sign but all the things that John spoke about this man were true and many believed in him there. let's pray Lord Jesus we pray that you would enable us to hear your word what you have for us Lord, we pray that it would break every 
chain of unbelief from our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. We're on a journey through the Gospel of John. I think this is my 30th time to speak from the Gospel of John, and we've only made it to chapter 10. I don't think we're going to get it done this year. But each week that I speak, we're declaring a different aspect about Jesus. If we're going to be people of Jesus, we've got to know Him. Amen? Our vision statement declares knowing Him and making Him known in real time and beyond. We want to know Him. The world doesn't know Him. If we know Him, we certainly don't want to be caught off guard when someone asks us about Jesus. We should be able to go on for hours declaring the amazing things about Him. A few years ago, I preached on evolution and science and atheism, and the title of the series was Atheism Sucks. And it was real technical. There was lots of pictures, lots of data to take in. And there was a student in the group, part of the youth group, that was bored. And so he didn't take in the information. And one day he just happened to come across a documentary being made where PBS was interviewing people on the street. What do you think about evolution? And all he could say was, uh, atheism sucks. Needless to say, he did not make it on the show. So be prepared. Jesus is our keeper. We're in good hands. You know, this period of our nation's history, all state still declares that their customers are in good hands, but the world of insurance is in the shaking, isn't it? Everything that can be shaken is being shaken. But in Jesus, we have assurance. We're in His hands and they're good hands. Amen? Jesus is our keeper. Can we say that? We are kept by, and we're going to fly through this, the top ten things in my mind that He keeps us by. We're kept by Jesus' hand. The hand that touched the leper. The hands that healed the sick. The hands that chopped down trees and sawed trees and made them lumber before there was anything like Black and Decker. The hands that drove nails and worked with stone and rock. The hands that blessed children. The hands that served are the hands, he says, we'll never get away from. Look at this verse again. John 10, 28. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. And we say no one. His grip is good. He doesn't have dropsy. He doesn't have butterfingers. He's Velcro personified. There's no getting away from him. We are kept by his Father's hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. Verse 29. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So we're held in the hand of Jesus. He's God manifested in the flesh. We're held in the hand of the Father. He's Almighty God. I think I think nobody's going to be able to snatch us, right? Look at this next verse. Verse 30. I and my Father are one. Now this verse has been used in debates for centuries and probably will still continue to be used as people discuss the Godhead, the Trinity or the triunity of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Is He one? Is He three? Are there persons? Are there manifestations? Are there gods? Is this word one mean one in person or one in purpose or one as a teamwork or one in unity? It means one in keeping. 
The Father and the Son are one in keeping you and I in their hand. That brings assurance to me. Many times we argue about stuff that causes us to miss the whole point. The whole point of Him saying, I and my Father are one, is to reveal to us He is keeping us. No getting away from it. Well, can I backslide? Yeah, you can do whatever you want. But you know what? He's coming after you. And he'll give you a butt kick and you will never forget. He will. Brad Riza was the director of missions for the Southern Baptist Churches in Hood and Somerville County a few years ago. Good friend of mine. He was a retired Air Force chaplain and was stationed for years in Vietnam. And he shared an amazing story. His office was beside the Catholic priest, the Catholic chaplain's office. And one day a young Catholic goes into the priest's office and said, I am sick and tired of God bugging me. I want him to leave me alone. What can I do to get God to leave me alone? The priest said, I'll tell you what to do. Told him how to renounce Christ. He said, you go into that chapel and you look up at the crucifix and you point to the figure of Jesus on the cross and say, you did that for me and I don't give a damn. And then you walk out and he'll leave you alone. The young man said, okay. And he walked out. And Brad thought, the priest didn't follow him? So being the evangelical that he was, he followed the young man from a distance and watched him go in the chapel. And he pointed at the crucifixion, the figure of Jesus on the cross, and said, you did that for me. And, and he took a breath, getting ready to say, I don't get a damn. And when he took a breath, he inhaled a bug and began to cough and sputter and cry out to God for mercy on his knees, crying. So Brad, being a good Southern Baptist, just walked in there, put his arm around him, said, let me tell you what's going on. And he led him to Jesus. Yeah. He's so big, you can't get around him. He's so high, you can't get over him. God is awesome. We are kept by God's eternal purpose. Romans 8.28, one of my favorite verses. We know, can we say we know? Let's read it together. That all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. If He called you, He has no plan B. He has a purpose for your life. You can screw it up and He will use your screw up for His glory. He'll make your mess a message. Yes. Don't get me on that sermon. He is a great Redeemer. The awesome Transformer. Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall. Shake said he committed suicide. He would pick up the pieces and make a great omelet out of it and fulfill a purpose. We are kept by the blood of Jesus. A price was paid. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a price that he did not owe through his blood. Hebrews 12, 24. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling that speaks. Can we say speaks? Speaks better things than that of Abel. You know, if you go home from work one day this week and you see a trail of blood from the driveway 
to the sidewalk, going in your front door, you're going to think somebody's bleeding. That blood's going to speak to you. Somebody's been hurt. Or Lewis's wife would say, Lewis done killed something. It's going to to speak to you, right? Cain killed Abel. God approached Cain and said, where's your brother? And he said, am I my brother's keeper? Did not own up to what he had done. God said, your brother's blood cries out to me. Blood cries out. There's been an injury. Something has died or is about to die. In Abel's place, maybe his blood was crying out for vengeance, crying out for justice. Innocent blood had been shed. Jesus is his brother's keeper. And he shed his blood for us. And his blood speaks better things. And he doesn't waste his blood. He has bought you. He says, you are mine. Not just by His hand, but by His purchase. He redeemed you. He owns you. Legally and spiritually. We are kept by the intercession of our Lord. This is the one I I don't understand much of, but the one that really speaks a lot to me. He makes intercession for us. Hebrews 7.25, Therefore He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for us. For us. A few weeks ago, Pastor Gary Spots shared to us on the humanity of Jesus. How he was fully God, but he emptied himself, became fully man, and lived as a man, anointed by the Holy Spirit and led by the voice of God. Just like we're doing. Fulfilled his purpose, risen from the dead, now as a resurrected man, and he's still God. And he's in heaven forevermore. As our priest. You want someone to go confess your sins to? Go to Jesus. He's your priest. And the sacrifice. He remembers that occasion of dying for your sins. He remembers the day he paid the price to forgive us. And he lives. His life intercedes for us. And maybe he's praying too. I'm not sure. But look at his heart when he prayed for us in John 17. Holy Father, Keep them, that's us, through, keep through your name, that's God's reputation, keep through your reputation, your power, who you are, keep through your name, those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. So he prayed for our unity. A key to victory in being kept by the power of God is walking in unity with one another, becoming a fulfillment to the prayer request of Jesus. Galatians 6 says, if you see a brother overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, go and restore that brother in a spirit of gentleness, lest you be tempted in the same. So we are kept by Jesus' prayer and by his body as we become an answer to his prayer. Verse 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. The devil is nothing for us to fear. Jesus has prayed that the Father would keep us from him. It's His will that He not have advantage over us. And so I just love the fact Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. Whatever that means, to see that His prayer is answered or His life stands as a point of intercession or He's our priest and He's praying for us, I just say all the above. It is awesome. He is our keeper. And we are kept by the chastening 
of the Father. Hebrews 12, verse 5, ends with these words, Do not despise the chastening or the discipline of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges, we say punishes, every son whom He receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? And it goes on to say, if the father does not chasten us, then we're not really children. We're illegitimate. The King James Version is real cruel. says we're bastards. Right there in the Bible. Whom he loves, he corrects. So I'm being kept by the chastening hand of God. Every time I screw up and do something rebellious, he is on my case. And he will speak as loud as he has to. Thank God he doesn't have to scream. He's not a three-scream mama. You better hear him if he speaks to you. Well, my God doesn't punish. Well, really? What kind of parent is that that doesn't punish their child? We're all in here the products of our parenting. If we weren't, we couldn't stand being in here. Because everybody would be messing their britches. We're the products of good training. The Father wants to train us and keep us. Maybe you're here today and you have made some messes in your life. God's not shocked. He's not like, oh my God, look who's here today. No, He drew you here. He's drawing you to Himself. He's not letting you go. He's not going to let you tell Him, I don't give a damn. He cares for you. Amen. We are kept by the sealing of God's Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30, Paul wrote it and told us to not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit seals us. And when we grieve Him, we know it. Something's not right. It's like taking a bath with your socks on. Something's wrong. We're sealed. Are there any canners in the house? Nobody cans anymore. But if you, if I had a mason jar, I would explain the process to you. I watched my grandma do it with wax uh, or uh, paraffin, they call it. And if that seal is broken, the food in there won't keep long. You ever go on vacation and somebody didn't didn't close the refrigerator door all the way? And what's, what's the mess you come home to? Being sealed preserves. The Holy Spirit seals us, preserves us, keeps us. We're in His hand, saints. We're in His hand. And we are kept by His keeping ability. He is able to keep us. Jude 24 says, Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. And then it goes on to declare some words of praise. He's able to keep us from stumbling. He's able to. I want to rely on His ability more and more because I can't keep myself from stumbling. But by relying on Him, He keeps us. He's a keeping God. Not just a saving God. A keeping God. Maybe you were raised in an eternal insecurity home. Always in danger of losing your salvation. Oh, if you go to the movies and the rapture takes place, you're going to be left behind. Every time my parents were late picking me up from school, I just knew I'd missed it. He's able to save me, but not able to keep me, you know. Like, I saved you, but you're on your own. Get out. Well, we're not really God's children. Aren't we adopted? Oh, yeah. 
doubly so. We're as children by creation and we're as children by adoption. And in this physical realm, in our nation, it's easier to disown your children if they're your natural children than it is to disown them if they're adopted. Man, you are double bound. We are doubly kept. We've been redeemed. We've been adopted. We've been born again. Thank God for His keeping power. We are kept by God's faithfulness. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Oh, pastor, you're taking away people's fear of going to hell and they're going to live in sin. Oh, if somebody's tempted to do that, they'll learn real quick that that's not the life to live. Why would you get saved anyway if you thought a life of sin was the way to live? Let's think through that. If people have to get saved over and over again, what's that? Is God schizophrenic? Does he need medication? Did he know what he was doing when he chose you and saved you? Redeemed us? You believe in eternal security? I believe in the eternal securer. Forget the doctrines. Let's go to the doctor. Amen? The teacher is superior to the teaching. And he is able to keep. My faith is in a person and his name is Jesus Christ. And he is faithful. And we are kept by thankful prayers. Philippians 4 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Maybe you know that by heart and you just kind of rattle it off. If that's the case, get another translation and learn it. This is a key to victory in our life. Be anxious for nothing. Can we say nothing? We're not supposed to worry about anything. But in everything, worry about nothing, but pray about everything. Worry about nothing, pray about everything. With prayer and supplication. Supplication is an official request. It could even involve writing down your prayer. With thanksgiving. So we don't worry about nothing. We pray about everything with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. That word guard means to put a sentinel around. To post a watch. It means to keep. Are you losing your mind? Let the keeper keep it for you. Go ahead and lose it and give it to him. Get out of the driver's seat and trust him to drive your life and walk in obedience. Is he your co-pilot? Make him your pilot. Philippians goes on to say, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Did he begin a good work? Did he? Well, everything's not right. Well, he's not done. Have you ever remodeled your house? It becomes a mess first. Oh, it's got to get ugly before it gets beautiful. Steve Green sings a song, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He who started the work will be faithful to complete it in you. If the struggle you're facing is slowly replacing your hope with despair, or the process is long and you're losing your song in the night, you can be sure that the Lord has His hand on you. 
safe and secure. He will never abandon you. You are His treasure. And He finds His pleasure in you. We're in good hands. Amen? In the 70s, the Imperials sang a song. The lyrics read as follows. There are some promises in a letter written a long, long time ago. They're not getting older. They're just getting better. And the author wants us to know He didn't bring us this far to leave us. He didn't teach us to swim to let us drown. He didn't build His home in us to move away. He didn't lift us up to let us down. Well, what about my wayward children? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, offer your requests to the Lord. Let your child see the peace of God in your life. And let your child hear your testimonies. And let the Holy Spirit be the one that puts them on guilt trips. We need to back off. Because if they're fighting with us, we're in God's way, right? Let the Lord fight the battles. And we pray for them with thankfulness. Don't get into arguments. Have they lost their salvation? Claim them. Claim them as God. And pray. And watch God move. Watch God move. We're all here. We weren't perfect. And we're still not perfect. But He's dealing with us and He deals with our kids. He loves them more than we do. I've been adopted by the Father, chosen to be pure, chastened and corrected empowered to endure. And I will never, nor will I ever, except falling away. Jesus is enough and His blood is too. When He said it is finished, He was telling the truth. No one can snatch you from His mighty hand nor erase you from His sovereign plan. Your name is not going to be blotted out. The truth of this makes us want to shout that you're never going to fall away. Jesus is enough and His blood is too. When He said it is finished, He was talking about you. If I should sin, He will forgive, but a life of sin I'm not going to live. Saved by the grace that leads us on, conformed to the image of God's Son, predestined by the purpose that will not fail, called to a service that will prevail. Jesus is enough, and His blood is too. When He said it is finished, He was telling the truth. Lord, I pray right now for every person in this room. I pray, Lord, for that person that thinks they've committed the unpardonable sin. Help them to see if the possibility of that bothers them, that the Holy Spirit is operating in their life. Obviously, they've not committed that. Lord, shut that voice down in their heart and their life and let them pick up the pieces and give them to you and begin to bring them into the fullness that you've called them to. In Jesus' name. Help us, Lord, to rest in the security that is in your hands, in your purpose. Help us to live with the beginning of wisdom, which is the fear of God and not the fear of hell. The fear of you. You're able to cast into hell, but thank you, Lord. You have saved us. You've redeemed us. You've bought us. You've chosen us. And you're chastening us. May your word chasten us today and chase off all the unbelief in our relationship with you and one another. Help us, Lord, to look for those that we can restore in every way. 
Jesus loves you. He saved you, and He still loves you. And He's determined to keep you safe. So walk in His ways. Answer His call to service. He has called you to do more than sit on a chair. There's a world out there that needs some help.